Good morning, Salem Fields. Good morning. It's an honor to be here with you today. And um, I tell you, can we give our youth a hand? I mean, they just. I mean, I love, the, I love the preschoolers, right? How many of you guys ever had a privilege to work with the preschoolers, right? I mean, they'll make you check yourself, right? Because <laughs> they, they are honest, brutally honest at times. I mean, have you ever had that little one that, I mean, you just, every time you, you're able to speak to them, hey, how are you? You know, it's wonderful. And yeah, they come up, they give you a hug, they give you a five, but one day you come in and you go, hey, hey, how are you? And they begin to cry and scream and go for their mom. And you go home and you go, was it, was it me? Did something happen? Well, it just wasn't your day that day, right? I tell you, it, it is awesome to be here. Um, the millennial generation is a generation that I'm privileged to work with. I'm privileged to minister to every weekend in one form or another. But let's be real, the gap is, is growing, isn't it? It's huge. I mean, we could go all the way back, and this video just went all the way back to the 1950s and before, and brought you all the way forward to help you understand that today's generation is facing what seems to be an impossible task. I mean, how many of you have checked the national debt lately? How many of you understand the global environment that they're having to grow up in? ISIS, terrorism. School violence, school shootings. Students are struggling with addictions and pornography and spiritual bondage. We are finding ourselves in a serious state of affairs. And you know, most of us aren't willing to even have the conversation to understand this generation. I'll admittedly tell you that, you know, I got called to the ministry many, many, many years ago, okay? And you go, come on, you're not that old anyway, right? But I got called to the ministry um, back in 1997, and um, I'm going to tell you, I remember just being zealous, gun-ho, on fire. God, I want you to let me, I want to I I save the world. I want to charge hell with the word of God. I'm ready. I'm ready to do whatever it is you want me to do, God. <coughs> And I can remember working so hard, and one of the things that I've enjoyed doing, how many of you have ever been on a missions trip before? I mean, isn't it awesome to go overseas, to, to go, and you, you witness all of these amazing things happening? One of the sad things about it is we're more willing at times to understand other cultures and other worlds and other continents, more than we are willing to take time to understand our own youth and our own children. And I've been guilty of it myself that, I mean, it's easier for me to learn another language, to travel abroad, and to start witnessing to people in the darkest part of Africa. But when we start talking about our youth, I mean, it's a little intimidating. You know, I, I got this, um, I found these clips online. Um, there's text messages. How many of you guys are texters? How many of you guys actually messed up in texting, yes? How many of you mess up all the time in texting, yes? All right, how many of you like me think you ought to leave it alone sometimes, right? Okay, well, here's a, here's a great example of it. Um, this, this mom goes, your great aunt just passed away, LOL. The student goes, why is that funny? It's not funny, David. What do you mean? Mom, 
LOL means laughing out loud. Oh my goodness, I just sent that to everyone. I thought it meant lots of love. I have to call everyone back. Oh God. Been there before? How about this one? Um, honey, what does um, IDKLY and TTLY mean? I don't know, love you, talk to you later. Okay, I'll ask your sister. <laughs> Come on, the gap is what? It's big, isn't it? I mean, this seems impossible. How are we supposed to know? How about this one? Honey, please stop changing the Google logo so much. I like the original one. Mom, I don't change the logo. Google changes it. On my computer? You don't run Google? If I did, I wouldn't be driving a 2004 Ford. <laughs> my son is one of those um, tech geeks, and he just, I mean, hey, Dad, the other day I took Mom's computer and I actually downloaded Windows 10, and Dad, oh, it's amazing. And I said, yeah, your mom's going to like that when she gets back. Babe, I can't do anything that you asked me to do. I can't find somebody got rid of the Microsoft logo. <laughs> Here's another one. Don't forget, now, parents, we do have a means of retaliation, yes? And we sometimes figure it out, you know, how to make this all work for us. Since don't forget to unload the dishwasher, did you finish your homework, and we have to go to your grandmother's house for Thanksgiving. Dad and I talked, and we are going to buy you a car next month. You are? Oh, my God, thank you. No, we're not. I was just wanting to make sure you were getting my text. <laughs> it works for us sometimes. <laughs> but I mean, when you think about it, I mean, it is, it is amazing. I mean, how many of you that were born before 1980 that are sitting in here today? All right? Before, yeah. Okay, all right. All right, yeah, I want to see you guys jump up and go, woohoo! Woohoo! You're good, yeah, all right. So, uh, but think about it. Before, born before 1980, we're the older generation. And you know, if you look around, some of our kids, they kind of like have a reason to concern us, right? I mean, they would leave their head if it wasn't attached to their body, right? We all heard that before, right? I mean, and if it's not on that cell phone, okay, it ain't getting into their world. I mean, here, I'll give you a great visual. Here you are in your golden years, and you are in a wheelchair, and you know you need long-term care, and you're dry, your house sits up on that prairie hill, and there is a beautiful driveway sloped down to the mailbox, and there you are, and you just want to go out and check the mail. You haven't been outside in a while, and so you call out to your wonderful kid, you call them once, you call them twice, then you figure out maybe you should text them, and you do. And so the kid gets the message, and they text you back, text you there, and they tell you, I'll be right there. And they start rolling you out. And as they roll you out to the top, one of their friends Snapchats them. <laughs> and at that very moment, you see the image of the worst roller coaster of your life. <laughs> and there you are going, honey, oh my God, put the brakes on down the hill. And they forgot your wheelchair brakes, so there you go. You know, I do have a message of hope for all the older generation. 
And have you ever seen the Hunger Games? May the odds forever be in your favor. <laughs> well, you know, I do bring a greater message of hope than that today. I do bring a message of hope because, as the students well said, with God, there is nothing, nothing, and I mean no thing is impossible with God. You say, well, well, Trent, can we really reach this generation? Is it really hopeless? Nothing, and I mean nothing, is impossible with God. Look at these staggering statistics. I mean, I, I want to ask you, though, before we look at those statistics, how many of you have ever prayed and you've asked God to do some good things in your life? How many of you have ever prayed and asked God to do some great things in your life? She said, what's the difference? How many of you have ever prayed and said, God, I have this bill that needs to be met, and God, would you meet it? And God did. Yes? How many of you had asked God before to put food on your table? Your kids had no idea that it was one of those times in life, and God did. How many of you have ever been in a position in your life where you've had some type of, of physical illness or sickness and you did not know if you were going to make it and you know what? You ask God, God, please, would you heal me? And you know what? He did. But I do got a newsflash for you today. I want to challenge you to stop asking God to do good things in your life. Stop praying and asking God to do great things in your life. I want to challenge you. Because many people who don't even know God, haven't they had their bills paid? Many people who don't even know God have done great things in this world, and I would question there are many great men that have done many great things, and I would question whether those great men even know who God is. Amen? Many people without God, they put food on their tables. They have recovered from illnesses. You say, well, what are you saying to me? I'm saying that because of the crisis and the generation that we're facing, we as born-again believers can no longer stand back and keep asking God for the same old good, great prayers. We need to ask God to do the impossible in our life. That thing that you think is not even possible, our students need to see faith in a new way. Stop asking God to do great things in your life. Ask him to do the impossible in your life. Look at the statistics. Staggering statistics that lay out say that the millennial generation will represent one-third of the population, approximately 80 million strong. How many of y'all know it's hard to ignore 80 million people? You ever tried? You say, yeah, I can't ignore one, it's my kid. <laughs> Think about this. What is, what is this generation known for? They're known by their strong affinity to the internet, high levels of education. They also believe in racial diversity. They are different than former generations. 
Let's look at the labels that's placed on this generation. Narcissistic, lazy, entitled. According to the Pew Research, they are, they are overwhelmingly liberal. For example, a greater majority of them, they support gay marriage, abortion rights, and they don't really consider themselves religious. And I love this last major thing. And have you ever heard of something that the church world has been struggling with known as the great exodus? Do you know what the great exodus is? It is that our youth come to church when they're preschoolers because you made them come to church. But when they reach the age of 18 and it's their decision, they're not just going away to college, they're getting away from church. And unfortunately, many of them are getting away from God as well. And in this great exodus, by the age of 23, the majority of them have totally left the church, never, ever wanting to return. Now, anyone know the fastest growing religion in the world right now? It's Islam. And I'm saying they're projecting that by, in the next 20 years, they will be 2.8 billion strong. They're projecting in the next 20 years, they will probably overtake Christianity. So I began to research and I said, why is that? I mean, it really can't be because they wear cool clothes. It can't be because they understand our children better than we do. What is the reason? Well, as I looked into it, one of the things I found was their fertility practices are different than ours. Yeah, they're having more children, but that's not it. They're keeping their children in their religion. Their retention rates are higher than us in Christianity. Now we're having less children and we're losing them. Church, this is a serious issue. This is a crisis of gigantic proportion. Think about this. They are having more and keeping them. We are having less and losing them. So, I will interrupt this very sober moment to give you a very important announcement from Gay and Buddy. If you are married and you're here, you are to go be fruitful and multiply and replenish, <laughs> replenish the church, okay? If, if you're pregnant, please stand. We thank you. We thank you, thank you very much. The rest of you, come to the altar at the response time and let's get it right, okay? Last night I was out and I'm, one husband turned to his wife and said, honey, did you hear the message? And she was like. <laughs> well, it is good job security. Pastor Michelle, where are you? Yes, we want more children here at Salem Fields, right? It keeps our job, right? No, I'm just kidding. But listen, in reality, this is a major crisis. 
This is almost an impossible crisis for us to ever bridge the gap that is growing between us and our youth. And if we don't fix the crisis, the future looks bleak. I want to take you to a Bible story. And for the sake of time, I will not be reading it, but I will put it up. And you're welcome to read the reference. And, um, and matter of fact, um, Diego, could we go to the reference, to the, the slide with the reference on it? It's Matthew chapter 14. And I'm going to walk you through this story real quick because I want you to understand a real story in the Bible, a narrative where someone faced something that was very similar to what we're facing today. Some of you have heard of the, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 plus, yes? So here we are in the book of Matthew at the time where Jesus had just finished feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. And as he completed feeding them, he turned to his disciples, the Bible specifically says, and he tells them to go to the other side. Go ahead. Get out into the water. Go. And when you go, go ahead. I will shut down service, for lack of a better term. I will finish with all those that I fed. And then Jesus went off into a mountain to pray. Now, the Bible says that as they got out into the middle of the ocean, a storm came. And this storm began to surround them. And if you look in the ESV, it says, it says very clearly that, that the boat, the boat was tossed. Another translation, actually, when you break it down, it means the boat was violently bucking. Now, I want you to get this visual. Here is this boat is violently bucking. The disciples are in it. Jesus is somewhere praying. And the wind is tossing it and slapping it and, and storms is everywhere. And Jesus began to walk on the water to his disciples. And as they look, they see him coming and they actually thought it was a ghost. And the Bible says they begin to scream. Now, I want you to imagine... These are mariners, people who are used to being in the ocean. The disciples were not newbies to the water. But here they are holding on to the bow of the ship, and they look and go, it's a ghost, and they're screaming. And the storm had really, really taken them totally out of coherency. They didn't even recognize Jesus, their master. The storm was so powerful the things happening around them were so vicious that they could not see Jesus. Is your life like that? Are you in the midst of storms? Do you have things happening all around you? You say, you don't understand. I'm not even sure if I'll be alive in six months because I have cancer in my body and it aches every morning. Can you see Jesus in the midst of your storm? Are you scared? Are you holding on to the bow of the boat, afraid, shaking for your life? So here are the disciples, and Jesus come, and he hears them screaming. He says, be not afraid, it is I. And I want you to focus on what happens next. Peter says, well, Lord, if it's you, bid me come 
to you. Bid me come to you. In essence, Peter just prayed the prayer and said, God, I'm not comfortable continuing to hold on to the bow of this boat. God, I'm going to let go and I want to come to you. I want you to let me do something impossible. Are you holding on to your boat? Or are you willing to step forward in this generation where we have a storm of addictions and storms of spiritual bondage? There's all kinds of things happening around us. Are we willing to let go and to say, God, I want to do the impossible. But you don't understand, this generation is nuts. I don't get what this generation is about. And they don't get you either. <laughs> Especially when you pull them aside and say, when I, when I was younger, you know, I got up at the crack of dawn. And I mean, I had milked a cow, I had shaved the sheep, and I had, had burped the billy goat by, by 6 a.m. every morning. How many of y'all know you lost them by then, right? But regardless of the gap between us, there is a God that can, can bring that gap together. We serve a God that can do the impossible. Now, I want you to visualize Peter. Remember I told you the boat was what? Violently bucking. How does Peter get out of that boat? Does he hold on the one leg over after the other? If it had been me, I would have been sliding down like this, putting my foot in the water, trying to make sure God was going to do his part. Or I probably would have been the guys over here holding on to the bow of the boat going, Peter, you're crazy. That's Jesus, man. He's coming to us. What are you doing? Get back at Pete, Pete. I'll tell your wife, you were a good man. I mean, how many of you would have been right there beside me going, yeah, Trent Wright, you know? Let go of that boat. But we're in a day and time right now where we got to let go of the boat. We're in a day and time right now, there's a storm all around us. We're in a day and time right now where the church is violently bucking. The wind is slapping the church. The church has failed this generation. I have failed this generation. Leaders, you know who you are. God has called you to minister to youth. And you're what? holding on to the side of the boat. You're not willing to step out of your comfort zone. You're not willing to do more. You won't trust God to do the impossible in your life. You see, I grew up when we used to have in Sunday school the flannel graph. How many of y'all remember flannel graph, right? So in Sunday school, I'm sitting there, and it was all, three, it was all 2D. Nothing was 3D. And there was Peter standing on top of the water. It was easy to see. But it's pretty, it doesn't give you the magnitude of what was done and what was achieved. Can we trust God to do the impossible in our lives? Will you trust God to do the impossible? You see, I want to present to you, if you all stand to your feet, I want to present to you today that we serve a God who can do the impossible. We serve a God that understands the impossible. We serve a God that can make the chasm close. 
when we talk about how difficult it is. There is a book that was out by Ravi Zacharias. It's called Recapture the Wonder. He made the following statements. He says, in the 1950s, kids lost their innocence. They were liberated from their parents by well-paying jobs, cars, and lyrics and music that gave rise to a new term, the generation gap. In the 1960s, kids lost their authority. It was a decade of protests, church, state, parents, were all called into question and found wanting. Their authority was rejected, yet nothing ever replaced it. In the 1970s, kids lost their love. It was a decade of meisms dominated by hyphenated words beginning with self-image or self-esteem, self-assertion. It made for a lonely world, kids learned everything there was to know about sex and forgot everything there was to know about love. And no one had the nerve to tell them that there was a difference. In the 1980s, kids lost their hope. They were stripped of innocence, authority, and love, and plagued by, by the horror of a nuclear nightmare. Large and growing numbers of this generation stopped believing in the future. In the 1990s, kids lost their power to reason. Less and less, they were taught the very basics of language, truth, and logic, and they grew up in the irrationality of a postmodern world. But in the new millennium, kids woke up and found out that somewhere in the midst of all the past changes, they had lost their imagination. Violence, perversion entertained them till none could talk of killing innocents, since none was innocent anymore. It seems impossible, but I want you to know with God, nothing, and I mean nothing, and I mean nothing, and I mean nothing is impossible with God. In response today, I ask you to think about just what is possible. you today, if you were born before 1980, I'm talking to you, I'm asking you to exhibit courage today. I'm going to ask you as a part of the response today, if you believe in the next generation and in making a difference, and you're willing to ask God to use you, let go of the boat. Come and pray for the generation that you see up on this stage today. I'd like you to listen to a verse of the song Christina's going to sing as our young people make their way up on stage, please. the 
courage to believe so imagine what it is that you want can you see it can you feel the warmth have you dreamed it is it something that is absolutely beautiful can you hold it make it your own do you love it don't you let it go pursue it you can do it just believe that needs you to let go. You say, well, I'm not comfortable in church. Listen, you got to let go. Hey, I'm not comfortable in praying. Listen, you got to let go. Hey, this is just not me. You got to let go. This generation needs you. We have to stand for them. We got to pray for them. We got to pray for this world around them. Why not pray for this generation? Believe it's possible. yourself in but it's time for your potential to now become kinetic it's time for you to leave your nest to soar to new heights to spread your wings and fly now remember the one you used to know
Believe that it's so